This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Oscar here. In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire teamed up with Greg Olson of the Seattle Seahawks to launch his brand new pod, TE1. Greg sat down with some of the best tight ends in NFL history and went in-depth on the evolution of the tight end position. Bay Area listeners will not want to miss the episode featuring George Kittle as they talked right before Kittle signed his historic contract extension with the 49ers. Check the description box for a link to the feed or just search TE1 anywhere you listen to your podcast. And just like Greg revolutionized the tight end position, maybe a stretch, but hey, let's go. It's copy. We're here. You can revolutionize your football experience with NFL Sunday Ticket by DirecTV. Catch all the out-of-market games every week on all your devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. David, you know how I know my uncle doesn't listen to this podcast? My uncle, the Rams fan, because he just subscribed to Sunday Ticket Go, and he did not get 15% off because he did not use promo code. Unbelievable. I know. Can't even, can't even rely on family. Can't even rely on family. But I can rely on you to go to nflsundayticket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. That's nflsundayticket.tv and promo code BLUEWIRE. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is time to get hype because it is the hype episode. River Craycraft, welcome to the Better Rivals All-Name Team because I hope you are cray about your craft. And with me this week to recap my dominating Dynasty Draft performance, it's David Newman. That's what we're calling it? Dominating? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Come on. Don't make me pull up the receipts here. Uh, the receipts of me winning the Dynasty League last year and then trading back from 1.10 and still getting Henry Ruggs oh my God, and please. bolstering with a, a handcuff and maybe an upside player in Boston Scott, also my spirit animal, who is 5'6", and getting LaVishka Chenault and a Gibson, not of the guitar variety. I mean, come on. I haven't even made my last pick yet. And I, I, they're all waiting on me to, to make my last pick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the options for the final pick of the rookie draft are just endless. There are so many good players left. I can't wait you to better see who be- you're going to take. You better believe Cole Kimmett is going to take my team to a fantasy championship, goddammit. Oh, God. That fucking fantasy league. Whatever. Moving on. I ain't got time for this <laughs> shit. For my I, Rob for championship record. last year, my team's going to dominate this year, all right? Like, look, I got Gronk back. All right. Held on to him. You did. Made, made the, the fact that you got Gronk back yeah. is the only reason that I'm holding on to Andrew Luck. I actually read the saddest Andrew Luck report <laughs> a couple of days ago, and I was like, I saw it come out on the news feed, and I was fully expecting like, oh man, is he itching for a return? Because this could be great for my dynasty league. And then it was like, <laughs> he's happy. He goes to the grocery store. Someone saw him at a farmer's market. I'm like, of course, wow. of course, Andrew Luck. This wow. is exactly what we would get from you in retirement. But I'm still holding out hope for one more year that Andrew Luck may come back to football. But 
Uh, it's okay. I've already got one ship under the belt. You know, at this point, if I win again, the whole league shuts down and resets. And that's like the ultimate flex for a dynasty league. I'm gunning for that. Flex. Yeah, if that happens, I fucking quit. It's bullshit. My team is better than yours. Move on. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let's get to the rundown because a couple stories before we get to the hype episode, which I'm very, very happy about, as you can tell by the sound of my voice. But uh, really, first story at the top is just that there are going to be no fans for the season opener. And basically, we are all the Chargers. <laughs> Because they, they know what it's like to play without fans. But at least they have the op- the opposing team's fans there to jeer at them and berate them for being in a soccer stadium. Uh, but instead, we get nothing. Uh, no home field advantage other than the, the blistery wins there in Santa Clara. But yeah, it's, it's, it bums me out and it's sad. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, well, then you know what? Wear masks and maybe we can have football sooner with fans. Yeah, I mean, uh, look. All I'm saying is that's a great point about the Chargers. Like, that's got to be worth what? Like, at least an extra win for them this year? Like, just used to playing in an empty, quiet stadium? Like, hey, who knows? They were crazy. They've been, tra- they've been training yeah. for this for a, at least a this year. This ain't their first rodeo. All right, that's all yeah. I'm saying here. <laughs> rodeo. That's exactly right. But 49ers-related news on the personnel front. Earl Thomas is not on the 49ers' radar after being released from the Ravens, Shanahan said that he is happy with the roster and plan the 49ers have. And while I would love to have the talent of someone like Earl Thomas, um, I kind of get why they're not signing the dude. Um, it's 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 a little weird what happened uh, in in Baltimore, but you know, not not going to dive into the the politics or the the training camp fights that spurred that decision. But all, all I know is that he, it someone's probably going to get him for a bargain. And it's going to suck. It's going to suck because he's still a very, very good player. He's still one of the top safeties in the league. He's probably got a couple of years left. I don't know what that, that, there's, that locker room, though, Baltimore, if anyone can make, if anyone's got a pretty solid locker room, you'd think that John Harbaugh would in Baltimore. And the fact that the players in Baltimore were like, nah, you know what? We want to move on from El Thomas tells you a little something. Right. That's the part that's concerning. It's like, normally I would be all about like, let's take the chance on the talented player, see if it works. And, you know, you probably get them uh, for, for relatively cheap at this point, like all that stuff. And you think the Sherman connection too. Yeah. you think to yourself, mm-hmm. he's got already a friend in, in the locker room. He's got a system that he's familiar with. Yep. He's not going to have to learn something new. He, he's, he's got a coach that he's familiar with as well. And the Niners have a strong locker room too, but Yeah, there's a lot of football reasons that it makes sense. But the fact that, right, like you said, teammates wanting you out like that's you you don't hear many of those type of stories. Right. You know, there's all sorts of the stories about the player in the the front office, like not getting along and that leading to, uh, you know, player getting traded or released or whatever. Uh, Not a whole lot of stories. I feel like where it's like most of your teammates are just like, yeah, get this guy the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely odd, but uh, he will not be a 49er. That is sad. But. Uh, I'd rather not have the drama. And and I mean, they, they paid Jimmy Ward. So as long as Jimmy Ward drinks his milk, I think we'll be okay. Uh, injuries at center are becoming a major concern, David. Weston Richburg, of course, is recovering from the torn patella tendon. Spencer Long retired. And now Ross Reynolds has a bone bruise and swelling in his knee. Uh, and I imagine that's a little bit like stepping on a Lego uh, and then multiplying that by a million because that sounds very, very painful, uh, a bone bruise and swelling in your knee. So now, basically, you've got Dan Brunskill and another brand-new entrant to the Better Rivals All-Name team, Hronis Grassau. Gra- Grassu? Grassau. I don't, I'm not sure. But Hronis has a fantastic first name, in and of itself, qualified him. But then you add the last name, 
uh, Grasu, and, and you're already up near the tippy top. But they're essentially the only functional centers. And one of the training camp reports said that Grasu was snapping the balls into, well, the grass. Ooh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not, it's not oh, a good look, no. my dude, other than Daniel Brunskill, who is basically the savior of the offensive line. Oh, man, it's scary. Like, that's, that's kind of one of the things that, that could really, like, tank things offensively in a hurry, you know, is like uh, a, a major, major weak spot at one of the offensive line spots, right? It's it's one thing. It's like, okay, you're on your backup and, you, you know, you're going to hope that he can kind of step in and be somewhat decent uh, and, and you're going to get through with that with a couple games or whatever, right? Like, this is pretty dire. Like, they got guys that, yeah, like aren't centers playing center. Um, not ideal, especially like in this offense, right, where the center always going to have, you know, or not always, I guess, but in most cases going to have a, a, a fairly decent role in setting pass protection. So they're already already going to be like important from that perspective. And then we know from Shanahan's run game that the center and, and the outside zone stuff that they do, um, the center plays a big part in the success of that scheme. So uh, it, it is an important position on their offensive line. One of the ones that they value, right? They're basically center and tackle are the positions that we're going to pay most attention to and, and put resources into that spot. And so when you're down to, uh, you know, a, a center, that's not really a center, like that's a, a significant issue. And all it takes is one weak spot, right? On the offensive line to kind of like tank the whole thing. If, if one guy doesn't make his block, that play is over, even if the other four guys are good. I mean, we just did a whole Patreon video on the run game, which is the thing that really propelled the 49ers offense to some success over the course of 2019. And, and we detailed some of the assignments for the center and why the center is so important and how they call it the assignments and the blocking schemes. And it is important to have a center in Shanahan's scheme that can do those things. Ben Garland, incidentally, is the, the person, the backup to Western Richburg. He's supposedly out for a couple of weeks. At least that's what... Uh, Lynch said just a week ago and so hopefully he's back for the regular season because that means that he's back in you know just in time for that game but there are still some cascading impacts to effectively not having a starting center for a couple of weeks one is the right guard competition what used to be a competition between Tom Compton and now Dan Brunskill well Brunskill's had to spend a week or two now playing center because he seems to be the only competent interior offensive lineman that can play center that isn't on a cart or injured or snapping balls into his last name. So now you've got him at center. Well, that means that Tom Compton is basically locking up the right guard spot. And, and so that now begins to settle the guard competition. But then you've got kind of cascading effects everywhere else. You've got Jared, uh, uh, Jared Jones. Oh, Jared Jones yep. Smith. <laughs> it's like, he's, look, when you put a hyphen in your name, you're asking for trouble. A lot of issues there. Uh, Jared Jones Smith is now playing tackle and school has kicked into guard because now they're because they've had to move so many guards to center. Now they're moving school into guard. And and it, it's just it's it's just cascading effects. It's definitely something to monitor. They've had to sign a lot of players. And I just hope these players can come back. I'm kind of glad that there are no games. Yeah. Because that would only exacerbate the issue. Um, so it, it's definitely something to monitor. Hopefully, if Ben Garland comes back. I think that will be a huge help because you have a center. But Dan Brunskill now, I think, becomes the top interior backup, and Compton is likely the the, the guard. Brunskill just the top backup at every position. Uh, if somebody goes down, yeah. Brunskill, please save us. That's basically where they're at right now with O-line. Yeah, basically. And, man, what, what a hell of a find. Uh, incidentally, Jared Jones-Smith is another one of those AAF finds. He played for the San Antonio Commanders in 2019. 6'7", 345 big dude 
very big dude. Uh, would love to say that much like, uh, who was it, Demontre Moore, like picking the cream of the AAF crop there right off the top of it and, and putting them in. Um, not exactly the case with Jared Jones-Smith. I think we'll we'll leave it there. We're not digging deep into AAF stats right now, but like it, it wasn't great. All right, well, let's get to the hype episode portion of the pod. Camp always brings hope and hype over the course of any given year. And often that hype evaporates faster than it takes George Kittle to dribble Buda Baker. But this year we've got no preseason games. And so we have no opportunity, no real eyeballs on the screen opportunity to get irrationally hyped about someone. And so this year in the absence of preseason games, we are going to bring that hype to you. We're going to discuss a couple of things that are getting hype in camp from training camp reports, the likes of Matt Mayoko, Matt Barrows, David Lombardi, who I'm just going to rename Matt Lombardi because it seems like you have to be named Matt in order to do this well. <laughs> um, and we're going to discuss the hype and whether or not that is some hype that you should actually buy. We're going to break down the hype and the, the players into three big categories, and we're going to start at the top with the rookies. And we're going to start with the 49ers' first-round pick, Brandon Ayuk. First, the hype. Matt Mayoko said he's never seen a rookie come in and be as impressive as Ayuk. Said that on his podcast a few days ago. Kyle Shanahan said that Ayuk has been in great shape and came into camp prepared. It sounds like Brandon Ayuk is ticking off all of the boxes that you need in order to come in and replace someone like Emmanuel Sanders. David, is this the hype that you're buying on someone like Brandon Ayuk? Yeah, absolutely absolutely buying this hype um yeah I, I think he was uh you know we talked i need more gusto from you david i need more energy more uh, verve. Gonna, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna be hyped it's gonna be tough this is my least favorite month of the season uh is is preseason uh it's it's really fucking terrible but anyway buying this hype with Ayuk for sure uh yeah, yeah i think like i mean we talked about him a bunch uh obviously right around draft time and and kind of as we were going through those players post draft and I think that he just fits in so well with what they do. Um, you know, even when you didn't factor in the injuries and the guys that they're going to be down at that position at the start of the season, um, even with a fully healthy, like assuming a fully healthy wide receiver group, you would have expected him to be able to come in and immediately be one of the best players in that group. And so I just think that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that he brings to the table um, from an athleticism perspective from a route running perspective, um, you know, and again, just from a fit perspective for what the 49ers like to do offensively and and what he can potentially do within that. So I, I think, yeah, with the injuries now there and, and even more opportunity available for him, uh, I, I feel like he's going to be like a big time option for their offense. And the thing that you worry about the most with a young wide receiver in Kyle Shanahan's offense is how quickly they're able to assimilate a lot of what Shanahan throws at them because he throws a lot at wide receivers, especially early on. I mean, it took Kendrick Bourne a couple of years to really get his, his feet under him in the offense. And he was still in year two lining up in the wrong spots. And, and you, when Shanahan is praising someone like Ayuk, I, I don't know that he would necessarily just praise him yeah. because he is a first round pick because you see Dante Pettis didn't just automatically earn that praise because the Niners traded up to get him. Yeah. And, and Shanahan's not going to just be effusive about them and then when on top of that, you see someone like Matt Mayoko, who this is something like his 47th camp watching the Niners. Not really. He's not really that old. Um, but he's been watching Niners camp for a long time. And to say this is one of the better rookie wide receiver performances that he's seen in camp in terms of just that player's involvement. I think that's a big deal. And, and you talked about his fit. I mean, everything that he does seems to be custom made for this offense. And so, yes, absolutely buying the Ayuk hype. 
and and I'm 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 bummed that he didn't make it to my second dynasty pick in this in this draft. I, I almost had both. I, I almost double dipped. I had I almost had Henry Ruggs and Ayuk, and you would have been very more mad at me than you are now. But I, I get it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say something about the fantasy <laughs> team again? Fuck. Sorry, my eyes glazed over. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So. Let's get to the other player in the rookie category because there's there's a couple players here, right? And and, and Javon Kinlaw is someone who very recently uh, I saw something that alarmed me. It alarmed me because the the hype is not always positive that we're going to discuss. And in this case, it was kind of we'll call it tepid hype, lukewarm water type. Like you've been sitting in a bath for too long, and you're like, I need to refill this bad boy because not only am I sitting in a puddle of my own filth, but it's also lukewarm. Matt Barrow said that Kinlaw hasn't been sensational. He also said he hasn't been a disappointment, which is exactly the kind of praise that you want for the 13th overall pick in the draft. Jesus, Barrows, make um, a fucking stand here. What is it? It's okay. I'm just, I'm you, just, you I'm just leave kidding. Friend of the friend of the pod, Matt Barrows, alone. Uh, the thing that worried me more, though, was that Matt Mayoko said that Kinlaw, he expects Kinlaw to be a two-down player early on, <laughs> that he's going to need to come off the field. I think David just died. Oh my God. Fuck. That that he needs to come off the field on pass rushing downs early in his career. And he cannot seem to beat Lakin Tomlinson or Colton McKivitz in one-on-one drills. That's what you want with the 14th overall pick. Yeah. I mean, that's like, obviously like you don't want to hear those things. Uh, you know, you never, we, we always talk about in, in terms of camp reports and kind of some of the hype that you get, uh, in general, like, cause it's, like you said, at the top, it, it's always something that you deal with around this time. And, and it so often doesn't pan out where those players just like ultimately don't do anything. But I think you, it, it like deserves the same attention when that hype is negative to, to a degree, right? Um, you know, you need to kind of pump the brakes on what's happening in these camp situations. And, and still, I think rely strongly on what our prior was with Ken law, which is a player that was excellent in college that uh, was a very good pass rusher in college and you know definitely was more of a a like tools guy in um uh in colleges in terms of like how he won as a pass rusher right it was a lot of just like brute strength and i'm more athletic than the guy that i'm facing and, and that's how i'm gonna win there wasn't always a ton of refinement you were hoping that that area was going to improve as he got to the nfl and got some nfl coaching um and and that is something that you know certainly will take a little bit of time for that to to get there but um the athletic tools were there for him to come in and and have an impact right away and so i think as long as he's given those opportunities that's still for me at least where my prior is at where i'm expecting him to come in and, and be able to produce um, until we actually see otherwise in more meaningful snaps on the field. He had an 18% pass rush win rate, which was second in the class in college. And yes, he did lean on his athleticism because he was just a bigger, faster dude than most of the people that he played against, but he was still in one of the toughest conferences in college football. And he has exactly what you want from that position, which is athleticism, especially at that size. He also improved his pass rushing each year in college with the biggest jump happening after his first season at South Carolina. The question is whether or not he can build off of his bull rush because his bull rush is what he used to great effect in college. And if he can get one setup or one counter off of that bull rush, it's going to open everything up because then a lineman's not going to just be able to gear up for that bull rush and anchor and say, I know exactly what you're going to do. And and honestly, I think I'm, I'm buoyed a bit by the fact that Kinlaw is not 
that overly effusive self-evaluator. He seems very self-critical. And in my complete side armchair psychologist, which I got my degree from online schools because it's the only place you can get your degree online now, is is that I think that that, that self-awareness and that self-criticism I think is going to drive him to be a bit more successful and, and really dig into being that technician. And he's got one of the best technicians with his hands on, on the field in, in Nick Bosa. So I, I'm definitely not as concerned. I think it's definitely something to monitor. And, and the big red flag for me will be if the Niners actually do treat him like a two-down player. I think that's going to be more of a red flag to me than anything else. Right. Yeah. If, if suddenly he's getting taken off the field and in those key passing situations and he's not getting a lot of opportunity there and, and he really ends up being this guy that is used in base situations, I mean, that would be just a massive, massive disappointment. Um, you know, that's not a player that you're taking with the 14th overall pick. That's a player you're taking in the fourth round. You know, like it, it's it's a huge difference in what you're expecting for those players. And so. Yeah, you know, of course you want the the reports to be positive. It's always better to be positive than than negative with this stuff. But uh, right until we actually see some of those changes happening, see him not getting the snaps that we're expecting him to, I think that would be the moment you start worrying. So now we'll get to the flip side of that hype. Colton McKivitz, the hype on McKivitz from uh, David Lombardi. I almost called him Matt Lombardi. That's gonna now it's gonna screw me up <laughs> all the time. And friend of the pod, he's been on the show a couple of times. I love him, but man, I'm going to screw myself up here. Uh, but McGlinchey uh, said that uh, McKivitz has been a sponge and he's been eminently receptive to coaching. Quote, the results are coming much faster than they normally would for an O-lineman at this time as a rookie. And that's impressive. McKivitz has also been lining up at both guard spots. And so are you buying the hype on fifth round guard interior lineman Colton McKivitz? No. No, not not really buying this one. I mean, like it's it's definitely I think the McGlinchey quote is very good. And it's like a, a great sign that, um, you know, he seems to be developing and picking things up quickly and, and doing a lot of the stuff from at least the mental aspect um, very well. Like all of those are, are good, encouraging signs that you like to see from from your rookies for sure. But to me, I mean, his main issue when he was out wide at tackle dealing with smaller edge rushers was that he had no power, right? He had no strength to his game, and he would just get bull rushed over and over again and just, like, completely lacked any semblance of play strength. And to me, that's an issue that that suddenly becomes a lot worse when you be, go inside and you're facing much bigger, stronger interior defensive linemen. Um, I, I just don't think that bodes well. And so I think it's something that likely could be covered up, you know? I mean, I know they've, they've had, obviously, some uh, practices and pads recently, but, like, this whole the, the camp situation, I feel like, can really mask that issue. And, and it's something that could become a much bigger problem once you get into those live game situations where it's like, OK, it didn't seem like it was a huge issue in camp and in practices. And he was doing everything mentally well. So he looks really good in that environment. But ultimately, if, if you just don't have the strength to match up with you know those guys up front, it's going to be a, a, a really, really big problem for him. Colton McKivitz was in the 15th percentile for bench press for his position group, uh, and that's across all players, not just, uh, well, not all players across all years, not just his, uh, his year, but is, is him being able to win one-on-one battles against someone as big and strong as Javon Kinlaw more of an indictment on Kinlaw or more of a boost for McKivitz? Uh, to me, that's, uh, that really feels like bad stuff for Kinlaw. 
I mean, I don't know. Like it, with, without seeing it and and you know seeing those guys go at it every day, I'm, it's it's obviously harder to tell. But that really feels like wow. Like Kinlaw should be whooping this dude's ass um, based on what well, we saw in college. Ian Williams said something really interesting about this, and and he said basically when you have a, an interior pass rusher or a pass rusher in general who's only got one move, which it sounds like for Kinlaw right now is the bull rush. As an offensive lineman, your coach is going to tell you, like, this guy has one move. Yeah. You anchor against the bull rush, anchor against the bull rush. And if you know that that's coming, then you can effectively anchor against that. Which, the fact that you that someone like McKibbitz can even anchor against someone like Kinlaw, who's got 40 or 50 pounds on the dude, um, is, is I think, good for McKibbitz. So I would say it's, it's probably a, a little bit better in the plus area for McKibbitz. But it's still, I think... Overall, big picture, yeah. Your your first round, fourteenth overall pick should should be whooping your fifth rounder. Right, your fifth um, rounder who's this, playing a position that he didn't play in college. Right, and then that's that's bumping inside the guard after playing tackle in college. Like, not a great sign. But at this point, I think the the key takeaway is you've got to trust your priors until you see something yeah. different. And the prior for Kinlaw, despite the report, was that he is the fourteenth overall uh, pick who performed very well in college in a very tough division uh, against division in a very tough conference. And Colt McKibbins is a fifth round pick and he did not show a lot of play strength. And so thus far, haven't heard anything that's going to knock, knock us off of those priors. Now, Jermichael Hasty, on the other hand, the hype. Hasty has been elusive, says David Lombardi. He separates on pass patterns and one-on-one drills. He's difficult for defenders to square up against because of natural fluidity and change of direction, ability, and traffic. And Matt Barrow says, if the 49ers keep four tailbacks, is he the number four tailback? Question mark. I asked that question to you, David Newman. Is he an, Is he the next Matt Breida? Is he another undrafted gem? The other player that will carry on the torch of Corey Sheets <laughs> and say that he is our future at running back. I mean, so in, in terms of getting the, like if they keep four tailbacks and him being that that fourth one, I don't know that that's like a huge stretch, right? Like the the competition for that spot like isn't great. Like, I mean, Jeff Wilson sure had a couple moments last year and, and stuff is fine. But like, you know, he's not such a good player that it's like a, a huge upset if you have another running back that comes in and takes that spot. Right. So uh, I, I don't think that that in and of itself is like warrant warrant like is worth any hype i guess right like coming in and getting the fourth spot and taking a a roster spot away from jeff wilson it it would be more hype worthy if he actually comes in and takes significant playing time away from one of the top three backs and that to me is much more of a stretch i I feel like the the camp environment and practice environment based on what we knew from hasty in college sets up very well for him to look good in that environment like he was a a guy that in college made guys miss basically completely right it was all elusiveness and and so it wasn't a lot of like breaking tackles it was uh using these jump cuts and, and this agility to make guys miss completely which i feel like is going to be uh, something that happens less in general once you get to the NFL and you have better, faster defenders. Um, but a lot of stuff about his running style and um, you know the things that you saw when him tr- when he tr- went uh, between the tackles on run plays last year like weren't great necessarily. Like he had a, a big tendency to bounce plays outside, and so there were a lot of like concerning things about his game in terms of how that stuff translates to the NFL uh, that I don't think 
really is is changed based on the camp reports and and if anything i think you know again the camp environment is something that will will make those things look very good you mentioned jeff wilson and i think jeff wilson is in terms of career trajectory a good place to really put jamichael hasty where he looks good if there were preseason games i think you'd think to yourself yeah this is this is the Corey sheets player of the year and you may need to worry about him getting picked up by someone else if he gets cut, but there's no preseason at this point. And he's not going to be able to put that film out there. And he's likely, if the Niners keep four tailbacks, it would be, I think it would be a stretch for him to beat out uh, Jeff Wilson. He's probably going to have the year on the practice squad, especially considering the practice squad is now like 97 players big. Um, it's it's not, I think it's like 12 or 13 players big, but the, the Niners are going to stash a running back or two on the practice squad, and I think one of those players is going to be Jermichael Hasty. Yeah. So while I love the athleticism, the sparkiness that he brings, uh, we the, the conversation that we've sparked, however, is not going to be one that ends up with him. I'm on fire today with these puns. I'm telling you. This is... Dad game's on this point, is you know? I, you know, all of the, like, it's like that scene in Highlander, right? Like when, when my daughter was born, all of the dad jokes just flowed from all of the other dads in the world into me. It's like, there can be only one. Let the dad jokes flow through you, you know, let it, let it happen. I'm doing it. So Jermichael Hasty, while we love the, while we love the, the fun of having another running back that you can seemingly find anywhere, uh, I do think that he will end up on the practice squad and that's where his hype should remain. So we're going to get to our next category, players returning from injury. But before we do, we're going to take just a brief moment to hear a bit from our sponsors. And first up, it's Sunday Ticket. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. Uh, I am a big Andrew Siciliano fan. I love that dude and his big dumb ears. Uh, I, I don't know about this Scott Hansen dude. I don't trust him. I don't trust the guy with the last name Hansen. Wow. But, but Siciliano, I trust that man. I, you have to trust a man with ears that large. It's just, you have to. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Yes, I'm talking to you with the Ugo. 15% off. Do it. Cancel your subscription. Go get your 50% off. I know you're not listening to this. I'm, I'm yelling it in vain. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. We're also going to hear from TheraOne CBD from tight muscles, tough workout signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. David, this hat's for you. So My back is can on benefit fire right from... now. Just going to throw that out really? there. What did you do? I don't know, did man. The, did you I'm, ride that I, I have many signs of aging. And, uh, you know, it's just like holding my 13 pound baby is like a problem right now. Okay. I don't really want to talk about it. I could use a Thera one. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help you soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler. And these fillers are potentially toxic. 
TheraOne test their products four times, four times, not three, not five, but four times is the sweet spot before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Body bomb for targeted relief and sleep tincture to drift into a night's into a deep night's sleep. David, I feel like you need this. This is for you. Yes. This this ad is specifically targeting me. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, David, now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products, but you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again, David Newman. So buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day where basically it's getting TheraOne and stop wearing white. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire to get TheraOne CBD products. All right, Newman, returning from injury. It feels like this is the category that was also made for you. Yep. Let's talk about about the hype surrounding Trent Taylor. Speaking of back injuries, the hype on Trent Taylor. Kendrick Bourne says that he is a third down guru. And... Basically, he's been catching everything in sight. And ironically, he's one of the only healthy wide receivers at this point with Debo Samuel out with the same injury that Trent Taylor had uh, last year and with Brandon Ayuk nursing a hamstring strain. So Trent Taylor, buying the hype or no? I mean, I think as long as he's healthy and everybody else isn't, you kind of have to a little bit, right? Like as long as that's the even, situation even that we're not, in. Uh, even if not, I still think I'm totally buying the Trent Taylor. I mean, I really like, want to. I I think that there there aren't very many players that are I think gonna gonna come right in off of injury and fulfill some of the stuff that we expected when when they when before they went before they got injured. And I think Trent Taylor's one of them. Um, similarly to what you, he fits a different type of role that Shanahan loves to have on his team. And I mean, Shanahan went out and got a guy who's got the athleticism, the short shuttle speed. And, and I think what makes me the most excited about him is just how Garoppolo loves these kind of in-breaking choice routes. And, and that's what he's going to do. And I think that's what his kind of crutch is when he gets pressured in the pocket, which has served him well, by and large. And I think Trent Taylor is the guy that he's going to go to. Um, and he's also rocking a sweet stash in training camp, which definitely gets you bonus points. <laughs> right. I, f- I feel like the uh, it, he would be a great option in addition to Kittle on those like third down plays, right? We saw it so often um, when Garoppolo first got traded and and came over and was on fire right during those first, what, five games. Um, Taylor had a big impact in a lot of those games, and a lot of that was the, the production they had on third downs. When you look at what he did over that five-game stretch at the end of 2017 and then the first couple games of 2018 before he was injured, um, he had an 82.7 receiving grade on third down um, on those, which was the seventh best in the NFL. So like was legitimately one of the best uh, third down targets in the NFL over that span, caught 13 of his 14 catchable passes, converted 10 of them for first downs or touchdowns. And I think the key thing was that on nine of those targets, he was able to to generate at least a step of separation. So at PFF, we chart on every um, you know attempted pass the separation that that receiver has gained on that play. And so 
this was a, a situation where he had at least a step on that defender, right? So at least he wasn't within arm's length of that defender as the ball was being thrown, um, which is, is I think, pretty uh, a good stat to just like uh, talk about Trent Taylor's game and what he brings to the table. And, and that's the, the thing that he was able to do in those short situations, those short routes, was able to get separation with some of those quick breaks and, and be a reliable target for Garoppolo in some of those key situations. And I think take a little bit of pressure off Kittle because they relied probably way too heavily on him in some of those situations last year. And when you think about the relationship that Taylor has with Garoppolo, it was an instant connection. In Jimmy Garoppolo's first start, Trent Taylor had six receptions for 92 yards. Five of those receptions were for first downs. And you've got an instant connection. You've got rapport with the quarterback. You've got the you've got at this point uh, five, six, seven games or so where you've got a proven connection with a quarterback, a top ten receiving grade on third down. And, and you add to that the fact that he is smart enough to make money on that jersey number hustle because he's back to number 15 after being number 81 and then selling number 81 to a dude that got cut and then taking number 81 back <laughs> from Jordan Matthews. I mean, he it's is perfect. galaxy brain, next level, amazing. So I'm buying all the hype on Trent Taylor. And while I don't think that he is going to be a 900-yard receiver in this offense yeah. or even a 500-yard a receiver in this offense, I think now with enough weapons with Ayuk, with with George Kittle, with even some of the other players we're going to talk about a little bit later, I do think with Debo Samuel, of course, I do think that he is going to provide key situational play where you need a third down and you're going to be in 11 personnel. He's going to come in and he's going to provide a key option and, and, and move the chains in situations where the Niners are going to do right. Even if he doesn't have those like big volume stats, if he comes in over the course of a season and has, you know, 20, 25 plays on third downs or in some of these key situations, right, where he comes in and helps them move the chains and keeps the drive alive, like that's where his value is going to be. Even if he doesn't do much more than just those 20 some receptions, right? Like th th there's a good chance that a lot of his receptions are going to be in some of those high leverage situations. So another player coming back from injury is going to be Jarek McKinnon. The hype on McKinnon is that his knee looks completely healed. Tim Kawakami had an article that was titled, and I quote, what does it mean if McKinnon is the 49ers only deep threat? Which is an interesting title to the thing. That notwithstanding, I do think that the hype so far on McKinnon is that his knee looks completely healed. He's back to normal. He's explosive. He's able to do all the things that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch decided to pay him a lot of money to do. So the question on Jarek McKinnon is, are you buying the hype on him now two years removed from a torn ACL? I, so I also very much want to buy this hype, right? I think he was a player that we were excited about when he was first signed, you know, not the contract notwithstanding. Um, and and I'm like, I really want to see what he can do in this offense and what he can do with Shanahan. Um, and I think that especially with the receiving group hurting a little bit, like, he brings skills to the table that that can fill in some of those gaps, you know, like obviously we're going to be expecting some of the receivers to step up some of the younger unproven guys, but McKinnon and, and him having the, the flexibility to be able to motion out of the backfield and line up out wide and run like legitimate wide receiver type routes, right? Like he's not going to be just a back that motions out wide and is just a decoy and he's going to run a little six yard stop route and just stand there, right? Like he's, he can do more than that when he's put in those situations. And so 
I, I think that he can bring legitimate value to the passing game, which is going to be the biggest thing that you can do as a running back uh, or any player for that matter. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely, if he's healthy, I think that he can have a big impact and potentially be the best um, back that they have on the roster. There is an interior pass defender arms race that's happening in the NFC West between Buda Baker getting you know all of the money that he's got that he's getting, which is basically hazard pay for Buda Baker at this point. It's like you're gonna get dunked on, so let's just give you a bit more money to like for medical bills maybe at this point. Um, but but th- like you've got that, you got Jamal Adams in Seattle. I mean, it is it is basically teams gearing up to stop someone like George Kill all across the middle of the field. Well, if he is your only threat there, then yeah, this becomes a bit of a problem for the Niners. But now if you've got someone like Trent Taylor or McKinnon, who I don't think he's going to be a mismatch against a corner, but if you think about linebackers and if you think about the other safety, now you begin to get into some serious mismatch territory. I am kind of buying the hype on Jared McKinnon. I think for, for two reasons. One, we talked about priors, and the prior for me is that the Niners felt good enough about his fit in this offense that they paid him a ton of money. And however much we agree about how much they should have paid him, that shows the value that they had in him in the 49ers offense. They felt about him in such a way that they were going to give him $23 million. And when he got hurt, Shanahan was despondent and said that he had to change his offense because he had things built in to take advantage of some of Jake McKinnon's skills. I think those plays come back. I think, honestly, some of those plays went to Debo Samuel, if I'm being honest. And, and I think that now McKinnon, though, gets some of those reps. And, and in, I think you said it, too, when the, the wide receivers are you know, not as uh, healthy as you might want them to be, you're going to go out with two tight ends. You're going to go out in 22 personnel, and that means you're going to have to maybe rely on a, on a running back as a pass-catching threat, and that's Jarek McKinnon. So I, I am buying the hype. I do think he will have more of an impact than maybe uh, he, he's getting kind of the pub for. And basically go out and get him in Stashman in a fantasy league is what I'm saying. Uh, from the fantasy champion on this pod. Next player. You should go next out. player. Who we got up next? <laughs> we got Jason Verrett. The hype on Jason Verrett is that Robert Sala said that the starting, uh, the starting cornerback role opposite Sherman is, quote, wide open. And Verrett is indeed taking reps with the first team defense. Just after today's practice, David Lombardi said it's not a question of a roster spot for Verrett, but rather whether or not he gets a starting spot. So is the Jason Verrett 12 snap hype real? (laughs) Uh, I mean, man, this really is my category. I I want all these guys to come and and play super well this year. Uh, I mean, Verrett. So I I think the first thing that like the most important takeaway of, of all of this to me is that uh, Sala is saying the the starting corner role opposite Sherman being wide open. I think that's very much the right approach, and I'm glad that that's you know how they're they're looking at things with the group of corners that they have there because I I really don't think that any one of those guys has played so well for such a long stretch that they deserve to have that and and not really be questioned right. So I think you have a you know probably a trio of players there that have a realistic shot of claiming that job. Um, and Verrett, again, when he was healthy, like played at like the level of one of the best corners in the league. So the talent is absolutely there or it, it was there, I guess at at some point, right. Pre-injury, um, whether it's still there now is, is hard to say, right. Until we see him on the field for a longer stretch. I mean, he was on the field for what one play or something like that last year. And it was a real ugly play. 
Uh, he was on the field for like I think three plays or twelve. Overall, it was twelve plays, but he got roasted on two of them. Yeah, uh, I'll have it to was, pull it up just to make sure we get you the accurate info. But it was it was not it was pretty. Rough, right? Yeah, it was a very a very small number of snaps, and those snaps did not go so well. And so, uh, it, you know, it, it's hard to say where he's at right now. But um, I, I think if he does enough in camp to basically prove to the coaching staff that they feel more comfortable in him. Um, than they do a Keller Witherspoon or Emmanuel Mosley like that. That's a win, right? Like, I, I think that that tells you that maybe he's starting to resemble somewhat, at least even if he's only like 80 percent of that player that he was pre-injury when he was at his absolute best. Um, that's still a, a really good corner and a really good player that you want to have on your defense. Um, so, yeah, it's just again, it's a matter of whether he can stay healthy. Um, so far, that track record is very poor. Yeah, he played four total snaps, two in coverage, two in run defense. He gave up one reception for 39 yards, yep. and I believe his other snap was a pass interference. That Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. No. yeah 39 yards and a touchdown and a PI. So I, I, I am a bit more tepid on this hype, not because I don't think that Verrett is talented, not because I don't think that he could win the starting role, but because I fully expect him to, even if he wins the starting role, get to get hurt at some point. I mean, it sucks to say, like, but but that's kind of where we're at with him, right? Like, it's hard to yeah. expect him to be healthy. It is 2020, David. The last time he played a full season or anything approaching a full season was five years yeah. ago. Five years ago. That's a long time. Not great. And while I do think that he has all the skills and, and ability to do it, I, I just the, the the I think the chalk is is that he gets injured. I think the likely scenario is that Mosley is someone that ends up being the starter. I mean, the Niners started him in the Super Bowl, and I, and I actually like Mosley and Mosley's game. I think what will be really interesting is what happens after this year with Sherman and Sherman's contract, because I can see Jason Verrett playing himself into a starting cornerback role next year if he's able to stay healthy this year. And for a player who is as brittle as Jason Verrett, maybe a backup role is where you need to be only in as much as you don't expose yourself to as much or as many hits. <laughs> like it sucks to say, but it's, it's talent has never been his issue. It's that his middle name may as well just be when healthy. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Um, I mean, and, and it's, it's going to be tough because yeah, you do need, a, you hope that multiple players here, I mean, they're, they're going to probably need to address the position anyway. Once Sherman, um, you know, shows some signs of, of slowing up a little bit and they're, they're looking to replace him. Um, but it would be great if, yeah, you could get like multiple players out of that trio. They're opposite him right now. that can step up and, and prove to be starting caliber corners because, you can never have too many players that can cover in this league, right? There's there's just no way that you can stash too many of those guys on your roster. And so you want to be in a great situation there. You expect um, to likely deal with an injury or two over the course of a season. And so um, it is a position where if you have a weak link, you can really, as an opposing offense, attack that weak link pretty easily, right? And, and it, it really can kind of limit what the rest of the guys on on the back end can do. And so you want to have as many players you can cover as possible. So, yeah, I, I hope that Verrett can put it together and be healthy again and that he can at least provide a level of competition with those other two that we had last year to where it's, it's uh, you know, enough of a competition that you feel comfortable with any of those guys out there. All right, now we get to our final section. That's going to be talented underperformers, two players that came in 
with a lot of fanfare, a high draft position, but have underperformed to date. And leading off this category is going to be Solomon Thomas. The hype on Solomon Thomas is that Robert Sala is doing everything he can to keep Solomon Thomas playing along the interior. It's a place that Solomon Thomas came out and said that that's where he feels the most comfortable. And we have our, I don't know if he was the first, maybe the other player was first, uh, best shape of his life camp report, but he's, he's allegedly up to 280 pounds, which will help him be more stout along the interior. So, David, are you buying the hype on Solomon Thomas? Uh, no. No, that's a pretty pretty hard no. I mean, uh, it's sad that it took Sala four years to realize that he needed to do everything that he could do to keep him on the interior, um, but that's where we're at. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's three years. Right now, you have to kind of put aside um the college stuff and everything that you thought about him as a college player and what he could be like we have three years of nfl production that isn't good and that just shows that he's not a very good player like that that he's a rotational player at best um like i hope you know that he puts it together and that he can be a good player like solomon thomas seems like a great dude and definitely a player that you like want to root for and do well but right now the prior with him is that he is a kind of middling at best NFL defensive lineman. And, and so I think right now it's hard for me to expect him to be anything different than that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much in the same camp. I, I want him to succeed for lots of reasons, just because of all the, the, again, he seems like a great guy and all the stuff that he's gone through. I just, I can't even imagine going through yep. all of the heartbreak and all of the trauma that he's had to go through. But I think when, when you roll the tape, he may be marginally better along the interior than he was along the edge. I think that much is true, but that doesn't mean that just moving him to the interior is going to make him good. And and so while that is probably the best place for him and where he does feel most comfortable, that doesn't mean that he's going to turn into the Michael Bennett that many people thought he would be when he was drafted. And and so the, the you've got the, at this point you've got snaps along the interior, you've got snaps along the edge. It really doesn't matter where he plays. He's he's a bit more effective along the interior, yes, but it's not like he goes from being Cassius Marsh to being Michael Bennett just because of where he aligns. He goes um, to being just, Cassius Marsh of the interior. Yeah. Right? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you Cassius Marsh is nowhere near the interior. That guy no, he like, can't get to but the if he house were, from the interior. You, know, you could imagine what it would be like though. Right. I, I honestly I'm having trouble doing that. Can you can you paint a picture with your words, David? Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah it sucks I, I again i i really do hope that he does uh that he does succeed and that he does find some uh some ability to rush the passer from the inside but i think at this point I, i'm not buying that hype in the slightest uh, and then the last player that we'll discuss and the last player in this category is going to be dante pettis the hype on dante pettis is that he's finally turned it around he apparently had an air out session with kyle shanahan where he realized that shanahan was was riding him not because he was, you know, personally against Pettis, but because he was trying to get him to be better. And now they they are apparently in a great place. And he is in great shape. He may have was arguably the best shape of his life, leader of the year. He <laughs> apparently has a much thicker lower area. Uh nice. thick with two C's, I believe, was nice. the camp report. But but yeah, but he is another player that was, you know, came in with high expectations, high draft pick, flashed a little bit on the field but then had it all kind of crumble away. And, you know, he, he openly admitted that his lowest point was being deact deactivated for the Super Bowl, which, man, that's got to be a swift kick to the dick. 
Yeah, that's rough. Uh, I mean, he's a little tougher for me I, because we've seen, you know, essentially one season where, like you mentioned, he flashed and he definitely showed some good moments um, as a rookie where you would think that he can build on that, right, and become, you know, the player that we thought he could based on his college tape and then had obviously last year be mostly a disaster and, and just wasn't a viable player for that offense. And so it, it's kind of um, in that territory of if this is the year that helps us really determine which of those two players he can beat, right? Is he going to be the guy that that shows a little bit more promise and capitalizes on that talent that he has and, and actually puts it to use and, and, and gives some production for this offense? Or is he just going to kind of be the guy that wasn't very good and, and largely isn't um, a player that they can rely on offensively? And I think it's a situation, though, for him um, – with the injuries, right? Like he's got to make the most of this. Like he's not going to have a better situation to come in and get significant playing time with some of the key guys out. Um, if he can, you know, take advantage of that opportunity and and be a, a player that they can rely on there, then yeah, I, I, you know, that would be obviously great for him. I, I lean towards not buying this hype though. I, I don't buy the hype because I think that Dante Pettis has dug himself too big of a hole to climb out of. I think the the amount of talent and skill that he would have to show in order to overcome having drafted Brandon Ayuk and having to overcome the fact that Kendrick Bourne has clearly leapfrogged him in the wide receiver pecking order. And, and now you're also talking about a team that drafted Debo Samuel. Like, think about how bad the team must have thought Dante Pettis was that they went out and got two additional wide receivers in Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and have elevated Kendrick Bourne above him. I think at this point, the team wants him to be good and wants him to be better. And he probably will be better this year than he was last year. But in order to be a productive member of the 49ers offense, he's going to have to leapfrog some version of Trent Taylor, potentially, Kendrick Bourne, most likely, definitely Brandon Ayuk, and definitely Debo Samuel. And I don't think that he's going to get the opportunities to do that. I don't think he needs to leap the last two, right? I, I think the place that he can settle is as the the kind of strong third receiver in that group, right? We, we definitely expect Debo um, to, to be one of those guys. Ayuk, obviously, we're very high on, but is still a rookie and, and is still some unknown with his game. Um, but we expect him to be one of those guys. I think Pettis has the talent to slide in as the third guy and, and be the, the clear third best player. Like Kendrick Bourne um, is not so good that he's like that Pettis can't overcome that. Like, yes, last year, obviously, Bourne replaced him in the packing order. Um rightfully because Pettis was terrible last year, right? And Bourne um, continued to get better and, and was a more productive player. But I don't think that's like something that can't be undone if Pettis is playing at his best, right? So I, I think he can slide into that role and be the clear number three receiver. Some of the other guys, they they may be a little bit more specialized in their packages or limited in, in what their, their snaps are. But um, I think, yeah, the, the high end for Pettis is that, right? And then the low end is obviously that he just kind of falls away and isn't a big part of the offense. One area where I think fans have wanted to see him is in punt returns. And there were some interesting quotes about, because he was an electric punt returner when he was in college. He's got several collegiate records, uh, including, I think, the total touchdowns, uh, return for touchdowns. I think he's got nine. So it's like once every like four or five times he touched the ball, he, he returned it for a touchdown. But the, the thing that was interesting, and this is a quote, I think, from the special teams coach from, from Hightower was, he said, you've got to catch the ball first. And that's a non-negotiable. 
and then we'll talk about consistency. My dude's not wrong. It's a fair point. And the thing with, yeah, it's a fair point. And the thing with Pettis is that he muffed two punts in 2018. So I, I think, again, you're back into this idea of like, he's got to, if he were coming in at a zero state and he were a second round rookie and all he would have to do was just like not fuck it up. But now because he's dug himself such a hole, he's got to be better than just not fucking it up. He's got to over excel and say, not only can I catch these footballs, but I can be consistent and gain eight, nine, 10 yards like Richie James did last year, but then also break a long one every now and again. He basically has no more, uh, no more rope. He's got no more thin, no more excess kind of leeway to be given. And, and that's why I think it's going to be really hard for him to climb out, even if he may end up leaving the 49ers and, and maybe be a, a better wide receiver and more productive on another team. Yeah, the, the punt return stuff for me is a little bit less important. Like it would be great, I think, if he could be good there. But but to me, at this point, the 49ers have so many players who can be solid punt returners that it like really doesn't matter. So if he's not the guy, if they feel more comfortable with one of the three other players who are also good punt returners, then cool. Like that's fine. I, I think I would almost even prefer to a degree if he would just focus on offense, right? I think that's where the true upside lies with him is is can he put it together as a receiver show the ability to separate and um, you know create some of those big plays offensively as opposed to on the special teams units like that is uh much more valuable to me and and that's where i want to see him put his attention and, and really hopefully improve this year well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. That was the hype episode. I'm glad, David, that you brought the hype in your own unhype way. I get it. It's okay. You, you know, the 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 sign curve that is the Newman emotional roller coaster is, you know, maybe three millimeters high. Look, man. But it's the, but I, I, I appreciate the, the consistency. Ski month was way higher on my hype scale than <laughs> than fucking camp reports. Like. It, it was, I'm, I'm here for all of it. I'm here for every single bit of it. And I know that everyone listening is too. So thanks again. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Um, David, did someone say playoffs? 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 NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. So check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.